One of the bright moments on television is a show called MASH. One of the reasons that it's so bright is the acting, writing, and uh, now uh, every once in a while directorial prowess of a guy named Alan Alda. For many of you, seeing him as a star of MASH is the first time you were acquainted uh, with Alan Alda, but he's been around for a while. He's done a few other things in his time. Comes from a famous family of, uh, of acting people, too. And he's in town to uh, talk about the Equal Rights Amendment. But he knows we're going to talk a little bit about MASH and a little bit about another new show that he's interested in, and we got an hour to do it. So, Alan Alda, welcome to the Roy Leonard Show. That's nice. Thank you, Ryan. It was very nice what you said about me. That's true about MASH. Uh, I've said this on the air before, not ever even knowing that you were going to come to Chicago. Uh, it's the sort of thing that some of us look forward to, sitting down in the living room, uh, laughing maybe, but doing a little more than that, because mm -hmm. the show itself does Yeah, more. well, the show's an unusual show. It's the only comedy, I think, that's ever taken place uh, against a background of war in which the true effects of war are shown. And that, that makes it a unique program, I think. It also gives you a chance to have comedy that has an, under mm -hmm. an undercurrent of... Uh, of real human feeling and, and uh, human endeavor. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very unusual concept. It gives us a chance to do a lot of different things. Of course, we all remember the motion picture, MASH. Uh, had you seen the movie before there was any talk of the TV series? Yeah, I saw it a long time ago, I, you know, when it first came out, and I really don't remember it very well. But uh, it, it's... Uh, I saw it, but I, and I, and I right. didn't, it, it didn't register with me as far as doing a series was concerned because there was no talk of a series. Was there any question in the beginning of MASH that the show would would try to say something? Uh... Well, I was very concerned about that. I didn't want to do the show unless uh, I could I could make it make it clear between me and the producers that we would not deal lightly with war, because uh, I've uh, I've turned down a lot of money by not being in movies, for instance, that were war movies per se, uh, a, a movie that might attempt to make a point about war, try to show war for what it really is. That's all I want to do. I'm, I'm not interested in propaganda mm -hmm. at all. I really don't like propaganda, uh, even when it agrees with my point of view, because I think, it's, I think it makes bad art. Uh, but, I, but I think to be realistic, to show the world the way it's, the way it's lived, the way, the way it is for people who live in it, I think that you have to, if you deal with war, you have to show that war is not a fun place to be. People get hurt in war. You know, they die. And that's what I wanted to make sure we expressed in MASH, that, we, that it wouldn't be hijinks on the battlefield, you know? It wouldn't be Abbott and Costello meets Korea. Yeah. Have you had any uh, problems with the networks over the years that MASH has been on the air? No, I think uh, they quickly saw the, the possibilities of what we were doing, and I think uh, they were a little uneasy about some of the early shows where we were able to flip-flop from low comedy to uh, some kind of drama. Uh, but I think they've come to realize that that gives us a very special appeal that that I guess no other show has. You know, it's great about MASH, too. We in our house with kids, we can sit there with the 8-year-old and yeah. the 12-year-old and the 18-year-old. Yeah. And we, there is something there for all of us. It's good. I think that's true. Uh, there's a problem, however. Last Tuesday night, uh, yeah. you, you had a what has turned into be a controversial uh, episode of MASH. And uh, two things bother me about it. Number one, one of the Chicago critics, one of the television critics, blew the whole thing about a month ago. I mean, mm -hmm. wrote a whole column about what happened last Tuesday night. Did they do that in other cities? Yes. Uh, I, a, a number of, of writers uh, wrote about uh, how the show ended, and the producers were trying to keep that a secret so that it would have an impact on the sure. audience. But it still had the impact. I must say that I saw the show twice, and I cried both times. I was... Uh, 
I was very moved by the show. I had read somewhere that there was a little difference of opinion among the cast, whether they really felt this was the best way to end it. Whether That's true. Some people were very, a couple of people were resentful that uh, the show ended that way. I guess we should say for anybody who doesn't oh, yeah. know what happened. What <laughs> Didn't happened. everybody watch? <laughs> yeah. According to the Nielsen ratings, most people were watching it. But uh, for, for those who are listening and only have radios, <laughs> it, what happened was that the, one of the leading characters called Henry Blake, who was played by McLean Stevenson, um, died at the end of the episode. Uh, and it was very uh, heartbreaking because he was on his way home. He was finally getting out, which everybody wants to do there. They all want to leave. And he left, and, and on his way home, the plane went down. The, the, it was shot down, I think, as a matter of fact. The, the, uh, the interesting thing to me about that, and I, I didn't expect the response that, the, that, that that story got. I thought people would be moved, as they were, but I thought that they would, by and large, uh, not mind being moved. A lot of people seem to resent being moved. They seem to resent uh, having a character that they loved die. Uh, but I thought that the show would have prepared them for that. I, it seems to me that the whole show from the very beginning has been dedicated to the idea that war is a bad place to be, that people die in the war. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe they didn't get the idea because extras were dying and people with small parts were dying. Although we had an episode where my best friend died. Right. And it was a character who came in and was established as my best friend. But I guess they felt bad for me because they didn't, know who this character was very well. They didn't feel bad for themselves because they weren't losing somebody they loved. And McLean Stevenson is a really lovable figure, especially in MASH. We're, we're going to miss him. I'll yes, oh, we'll all miss him. We, we're going to miss him on the set. He's a terrific guy to work with. He came here to Chicago a couple of years ago to act as a master of ceremonies for the Joseph Jefferson Theater Awards, yeah. which is televised locally. Yeah. And it was really one of the best shows we have ever had. He's wonderful. He's his very entertaining. He really him. keeps us laughing all, all day on the set. Chris, there, yeah, well, there's another thing, too. Uh, you, you have about you on, on MASH uh, yeah. fine actors. Oh, yeah. Some, you know, some super people, and, of course, great scripts. Uh, you direct some now. Yeah. Is this something you've always wanted to do? Yeah, I always used to do it in school. I always used to put on plays in school. I'd write them and direct them and, uh, and act in them. And so I'm, I'm really doing what I always used to do. Of course, our guest today, incidentally, Alan Alda, is uh, a gentleman you gather, I think, from watching him on MASH and from listening to what he has told us today who is sincerely interested in what's going on in the world. And actually, he just didn't come up here to the Roy Leonard Show today to talk about MASH. I think you know that. I, he doesn't, luckily for us, doesn't mind talking about it. He is in Chicago for a very special reason. He's been here before to talk about ERA, three initials that strike at the very heart and core of masculinity. Do you <laughs> not, not true. Do you realize what you're doing? I don't doing? agree with that statement. I know you don't. The That's Equal why Rights it. Amendment uh, is... For those who, who may not know, although everybody must know an awful lot about it in this state. I know there's been a great debate in this state, as there has been around the country. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment is an amendment to the United States Constitution that, when ratified, will become uh, the law of the land. And it only needs four more states to ratify it for that to happen. And Illinois may be one of those, uh, at least uh, I hope so. Um, and all it says is that no laws will be passed uh, which discriminate against people on the basis of sex. So really all it deals with is um, legal equality among all our citizens, uh, whether they be male or female, or any, anything in between. <laughs> and uh, it, it astonishes me that we're, it's 200 years late 
and we're, and we're still discussing it, whether we ought to have legal equality for all our citizens. It seems to me to be a basic issue. I don't, I don't understand on the basis of the law what there is to discuss about that. However, obviously a great many fears have been induced by talking about this, and that brings up a great need for discussion. But there are, there are no laws, are there? On, there? Certainly there isn't anything in the U.S. Constitution that, uh, that, that uh, prevents women from doing anything that they want to do. No, but there's no law, there's no amendment, there is no clause in the Constitution which says there shall be no laws passed by the states or the United States government which will prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex. And this would be the only clause which would say that. There are other clauses, as some opponents to the ERA point out, there are other clauses that can be used, can be manipulated to protect uh, the rights of people who are being discriminated against on the basis of sex. However, it requires for uh, supreme, it requires supreme Court justices to interpret those amendments in that way. Uh, it seems to me it's crystal clear that if we had it in black and white in the Constitution, you wouldn't have to rely on special interpretations. And it's a, it's a basic minimum requirement of a democracy to make all your citizens equal, isn't it? How did you get in on this? What was the, the driving force? Because, let's face it, you've got a lot of other things that you could be doing right now. Yeah, and this is really the only thing that I, uh, I make time for, I think, uh, other than my, you know, my work, which is considerable. I'm, I'm involved in three series, practically. Yeah, we got a new one. We'll get yeah. to that one, too. But, but uh, it's very important to me because, first of all, I'm a, I'm an, I'm, and I have been for a long time, I'm an ardent feminist, and, this, and the Equal Rights Amendment will do a lot for women. But I'm also a humanist, and, I, and it'll do a lot for men, too, the Equal Rights Amendment, and I'm, and I'm, um, I'm for it on both counts. Uh, I talk a lot on television about feminism, uh, so... Uh, uh, Somebody called me up and asked me if I wanted to help and work, you know, help lobby for the Equal Rights Amendment. And I was very happy to, because there there is a connection between feminism and the Equal Rights Amendment, but it is not strictly speaking a feminist issue. I should ask our guest a little bit about cooking. Alan Alda is here today, and his picture was on the cover of People magazine a couple of weeks ago. And inside there you were in front of the backyard barbecue. No, I was in my kitchen. Or in the kitchen with the cooking, uh, cooking with a wok. Do you? Uh, I cook occasionally now. I cook uh, Sichuan Chinese food, which is very hot, spicy. Did this come from the, the, you know, the association with MASH, or had you always been interested, maybe like in Oriental foods and things like I, that? I'm very interested in uh, any kind of ethnic food. I, yeah. I, uh, I love to eat, especially spicy food. I love Indian food and uh, Mexican food, and uh, I eat Szechuan food about three times a week when I'm in California. I, I'm, a, I'm alone out there a lot because I have. We live in New Jersey, and I shoot uh, and work in MASH uh, uh, for a few months out of the mm -hmm. year in California, so I, I don't have time to cook, so I just eat in restaurants all the time. I, I eat in the, in the spicy restaurants. What's it now, Sichuan? Sichuan is a province of China. I see. Now, it, it, how would that distinguish from, you know, Cantonese it's food? Entirely or? different. It, Cantonese food is made with a lot of uh, uh, starchy, uh, gl glutinous... <laughs> it's a lot of gluck. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, very mild, and, uh, and I, I find it very uninteresting now that I've uh, been introduced to Sichuan food. That's very, very spicy and very uh, fi finely chopped foods. We have some I, super, you know, I don't know how long you're going to be in Chicago, but of course we've got some new for Indian restaurants, oh, yeah. and we've got some good ones. Well, we'll talk about that afterwards. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. No free plugs on this show, <laughs> except for ERA. 
and the Equal Rights Amendment Cocktail Party, jointly sponsored by ERA Central and the men for the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, of course, you have, what, three three daughters. Uh, and I, thought maybe I have three daughters. That yeah. might be one of the reasons why you were interested in You know, ERA. it's interesting. I, I began to, after I was interested in, in uh, feminism and after I began talking a lot uh, about uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, I began to realize uh, how much it means to me personally. I think I, I think my first interest in it was out of a sense of fairness and a sense of uh, outrage at the injustice, um, and I really do think that's considerable in 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 our culture and our society toward women and, and toward each other. Toward men and women both get shortchanged by stereotypical thinking and uh, uh, anti anti-feminist uh, positions. But it occurred to me finally that I was really sending I was sending my children out into a world where they were not going to get a fair shake my own kids they were going to have to learn how to be four times better at a job than any man in order to get the same job that he was up for uh they were going to have to uh deal with stereotypical thinking about how they ought to look and how they ought to behave and could they be as aggressive as men are or could they be as aggressive as they naturally feel uh, and 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 not get and not get put down for it as women. You know, I say you're, you're not a real woman because you want this job too much mm. or you want to succeed too much. Um, would they be Would they be free to be themselves? And and uh, I think the Equal Rights Amendment is just a very tiny step in the direction of of uh, our treating all our all our fellow citizens equally, and I want my daughters to share in that. Something else that I want to call to everybody's attention, and I have a feeling when I talk about this album called Free to Be You and Me, which has already been out, I think, almost over a year. Yeah, I think so. But I have a feeling that every year there will come a time, because they re-released it this year again, mm. and, and uh, we've talked about the album. We played selections from this album that Marlo Thomas and her friends put together. In fact, uh, I think perhaps more than any other cut, there's a scene that Mel Brooks and Marlowe recorded called Boy Meets Girl, when a little boy and a little girl come into the world not knowing which is which. Did you have something to do with this yeah, one? Yeah, I directed uh, that as well as a number of other of the, uh, the cuts on the album. Uh, where did this fall in line with your thinking about ERA? Did this all happen at once, this album? And well, I've been a feminist for a long time since I was a kid. I don't know how that happened, but I've always... Uh, what is a feminist? Well, a feminist Alan. is somebody who thinks women are people, <laughs> basically, and uh, doesn't like, uh, you know, doesn't accept stereotypical thinking about women. It's not true that women can only be nurses and not doctors. And I, even as a kid, I, I, I felt that that was... That was the case. You did a thing in here, uh, in fact, you and Marlowe. Uh, this is a, yeah, that, you're talking about a song in there right. called uh, uh, Williams, Williams Doll, Doll right. which is exactly what we're talking about, about stereotyping. You know, it has always been felt that boys can play with trucks, but not dolls, and girls can play with dolls, but not trucks. And what happens when a boy would like to play with a doll? I know when I was a kid, I wanted to, I really wanted to study the flute, but I thought it was a girl's instrument, and I wouldn't let myself study it. And I lost out. Well, William doesn't lose out. Let's find out. When my friend William was five years old, he wanted a doll to hug and hold. A doll, said William, is what I need to wash and clean and dress and feed. A doll to give a bottle to and put to bed when day is through. And any time my doll gets ill, I'll take good care of it, said my friend Bill. 
William has a doll. William has a doll. Cause someday he is gonna be a father too. From the album Free to Be You and Me, our guest today, Alan Alda, with a friend, Marlo Thomas, and some nice people put that together, uh, Sheldon Harnick who, among other things, wrote Fiddler on the Roof and yeah. a few other minor successes, and uh, Mary Rogers, uh, Richard Rogers' daughter, uh, put, yeah. put that They're together. Both very talented people. A fine album. I hope they, they bring this out. They brought it out now two years in a row, and they made a TV special. It's a big best-selling album. I think it'll, it'll go on forever. Would you like to see maybe some additions to something like this? I'd love to see on? new additions to a new material based on that, on that uh, theme, that perception. Mm. All right, now, how about, you've got three daughters. Uh, I mean, do any of them, are any of them on Little League teams, or uh, do they climb trees? Uh, or, <laughs> uh, <do they? laughs> no, you know what I mean. Yes, my daughters climb trees, yes. <laughs> we are, uh, very, uh, it's funny, in our house, uh, sometimes when my daughters want to do uh, something interesting, they say, come on, let's wrestle. And the three of us, are, the two, the two yeah. younger ones, and yeah, I, yeah. The terrible part about it is they win. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're good, yeah. yeah. I got a call yesterday from a listener, and she said, oh, every time I turn on the television set, I see a commercial for the yeah. new Alan Alda film. What's it about? And I said, tune in Saturday. He'll be here to tell us. Yeah. Well, I've already seen it. Well, I, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm, I, I go around the country. I did this with the Four Seasons, too. And, and the Four Seasons was a big success, and it probably would have been without my going around the country. But I just want to make sure that people know that it's opening up, because there are a lot of things that people can go see, or they can stay True. home and watch television. True. And unless they know what's out there, uh, they may not go. And unless they know a little bit about what it's like, the people who would enjoy it might miss it. And I think the people who would enjoy it ought to get to see it, so that, uh, that we'll all be happy. I'll be happy, and they'll be happy. You know? <laughs> there uh there must come in every artist's career uh, a point where uh, he has perfected his craft, uh, he is successful, such as in Alan Alda, but it also gives him an opportunity to do something that I, I don't know whether he did this intentionally in Sweet Liberty or not, but he can kind of, uh, with a wry smile, poke a little fun at his fellow actors, directors, writers, producers. In fact, uh, have a little fun with his industry, and that's one of the things that Sweet Liberty does. Yeah, well, I, I do, and I, have, I, I think I have a little fun with everybody in the picture. It, it, take, it, it takes place in a small town where a movie company comes to, uh, to make a movie out of a book written by a, a guy who teaches in that little town, which is, and I play that guy. So I've written this history book, and they come to make a, a movie out of it, and I think they're going to make a great historical movie, and they're going to make a stupid teenage <laughs> comedy out of out of my history, and I can't. It drives me crazy. But I think I have a little fun with, with the history teacher as well as the movie yes, makers. And I, you know, I try to respect uh, both points of view. But the fact is, they all do see things totally differently. From they one sure they, do. And it's that that crazy collision of uh, points of view that I think the the fun comes from. Tell you what, we're going to talk more about Sweet Liberty and uh, maybe a few other things. Uh, the last time you were here. Uh, your wife Arlene was receiving an award. She's a marvelous photographer. Yeah, she is. is she still taking yeah, pictures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has uh, had several books out since then, and um, mm. she's working on a book now that's uh, I think is going to be her best thing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I just happened to get home the other night, and the kids were watching television in the other room. I'm usually sitting at the kitchen table reading a book or trying to get my wife to figure out the checking account or one of those terribly <laughs> mundane things. That and have then to explain be... it to you, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. But anyway, the kid said, hey, Dad, come in quick. Alan Alda's on with Barbara Walters. And in the times that we have talked over the years, we had never really 
for I don't know what reason or another, had never got to the fact that the first, uh, what, seven years of your life were rather traumatic. Well, really just the seventh year of my life. I had polio when I was seven. Yeah, I didn't it, realize that. That lasted about a year. Yeah, well, uh, that was uh, nice to be over, nice to get <laughs> over. You know, I, 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 it's interesting. I have a lot more stamina than I... Than I that's, uh, well, that's what I was leading than into. I would have expected, I think. And I wonder if it has something to do with the therapy that I had. I, I, they encouraged you to swim in those days. And mm -hmm. I swam about eight hours a day Great. once I got out of bed. You know. Well, the reason I, it touched me was the, the young, you know, we all have a buddy in, as we grow up. And my very closest friend also had polio. And I remember his left arm was in a, like a brace for three or four years. I saw him years later, he's fine. Uh, oh, really? Know. Oh, yeah. For three was, or four years, he was in a brace? But really? he was in a brace for all those years. And of course, at that time, they had everybody had an idea of what to do. Yeah. Well, I was treated according to the theories of Sister Elizabeth Kenny, a nurse from Australia. Right. And, and that really did the trick. That was, that seems to have been, you know, that was before there was any kind of a, right. a what do you call it, a serum. Right. And uh, you couldn't prevent it, but you could treat the symptoms. And that her 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 discovery was a treatment that was the exact opposite of what doctors had been doing at the time. They had a whole other theory about the way about what mm -hmm. happened to you when you got that disease, and so they wouldn't let her uh, teach it for twenty years. And then finally, uh, she she just kept after them and had saved so many children that they finally let her lecture. And about a year after she lectured in the United States, I got the disease and I was saved by her. Her treatment, not 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 by her directly, but by someone she had taught. Alan, would the fact that uh, people went out of their way and people had to tend to you uh, yeah. over this period of time constantly, have you thought about it much? Would yeah, I don't understand why people aren't still tending to me. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just have to lie down Wait, or something I, no, before they no, get no. the idea. I have a feeling with a, a lovely wife and some daughters you're attended to rather well. But you do no, have... No, uh, I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> Everybody is very generous to one another, but one, no, one but tends to be expected to carry one's own plate to the sink. You know, What I'm getting way. at is the sensitivity that you have and that you have projected, even in your performances, more than, shall we say whatever the average guy is, I don't know. But you do. You have a feeling for people, for human beings. I don't beings. know if I'm more sensitive than other actors or writers, other artists. I mean, art, artists tend to be sensitive. But I, I think I was always kind of an outsider. Uh, I, I said that to Barbara the other night in that interview, and I, I, I've only begun to realize that lately. I think the fact that I didn't go to school uh, with other kids for maybe the first yeah. uh, seven years had something to do with that. And... Uh, I just didn't. I, I I I saw things from another point of view. From the, I was I was on the on the outside looking in, and maybe that gave me a different perspective. Uh the title to a movie is yeah. that your title? Were oh, there yeah. other titles under consideration? No, that's the first no. title I thought of, and I liked it. And then yeah. Uh, How about casting a film like Sweet Liberty? I I I want to bring up Michael Caine because a, a fine actor who has great credits, uh, who. Unfortunately, has not had the greatest roles over the years. I mean, Michael has... Well, he's played in 52 <laughs> movies. You can't expect 52 <laughs> hit movies to come, you know, to but, occur in a string. But two in a row. I mean, uh, Hannah and her sisters in the Woody Allen film in which he is really brilliant, and a type of role in Sweet Liberty that I don't think he's ever played before, I has he? I think so, yeah. And I, I think it's an unusual part for him. He's a very, very physical man uh, and a, a guy who loves danger. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, uh, he plays the leading man in the, in the movie within the movie, and he's... he's uh, it's a flamboyant character, which he doesn't play flamboyantly. He plays it uh, very deftly and economically. He's, a, he's such a, an extraordinary actor that 
you you believe he's doing these bizarre things. I mean, you believe that here's a guy who actually would would uh, would do these nutty things that he does. You also, uh, I'm not exactly sure how. Maybe you will share with us how you were able to persuade Lillian Gish to join you uh, in a few. Well, scenes. she was sweet. She. I wrote the part with her in mind. I also wrote the movie with uh, Michael Caine in mind, and I was, I was really lucky to get both of them. And I wrote it with me in mind, and I, and I didn't know I would say yes either. <laughs> and and uh, Gish didn't want to do it at first because she she said, well, this is a comedy. You don't, you don't want me. You want my sister Dorothy. She's the funny one. <laughs> and I said, no, you're the funny one. No, I want you. <laughs> and um, she, she was very sweet. She had us over to her apartment, uh, Bregman, the producer, and I, and uh, we were talking to her about being in the movie, and she she served us these little cucumber sandwiches, really? yeah, oh, with with our initials squeezed out on top. Oh, oh, really gosh. lovely. She's a very, very sweet and adorable woman, and what a what a worker she is. She, we started the movie with her scenes, and I'm really glad we did because she set the tone for professionalism. I mean, nobody would would ever think of being late or or not not being prepared because she was super prepared. I wasn't aware that she smiled as much. I mean, she has got a grin. Oh, she has a lovely grin. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it before. You know, every time she comes on screen, the audience yeah. murmurs. They, they say, oh, good, here's another scene with Lillian Gish. And it's interesting. This woman has been in the movie. This is her 104th movie. She started in movies with D.W. Griffith yeah. and was a star then, was a star all through these years. She is a walking history of movies. She knows everything about the way movies were made in the beginning, and they're still made that way. Movie making yeah. hasn't changed. Right. Back about two or three years ago, in fact, I think you've done this at at least two of your daughter's graduations, you gave a commencement address. In fact, I think the Chicago Tribune reprinted this one. It was the one where you told the kids about the possibility of changing your life in midstream. You told a story in that commencement address about being uh, backstage... Uh, about always wanting to do Oedipus Rex, I think it was. Oh, yeah. oh this was the one I gave at Elizabeth's graduation. This was at Kenyon in Ohio. Yeah, right. Oh, maybe 82 or somewhere there anyway. Yeah. But you, you told about suddenly finding out one day that you were not probably going to be able to do Oedipus Rex. Yeah. But at least you could do something yeah. and still do what you wanted to do. Uh, and I was just wondering, as I was thinking of that address and the other things that you told the kids, uh, again, we're talking now about something maybe four or five, six years ago. Do you still feel optimistic, if you were to give a commencement address today to a bunch of kids, would you say the same things? I think I, I probably would. I, that's interesting. I, I, I noticed that even though my life goes through changes, there are basic things that, 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 um, that don't change. I learn new things. I'd probably say something, something a little different. I, I've really, every time I write a movie, I learn something. I learned things about friendship that I didn't know I knew. Really? When I, when I wrote Four Seasons. And in this picture... And Sweet Liberty, I've learned about letting other people have their point of view. I really am better at it now than I was before. I don't know how long this is going to last. <laughs> Probably once the picture opens, I'll go back to how, how I was before. But I, I mean, that what's fun, one of the things that's fun about this movie is how these people are at each other's throats because they keep insisting on their own point of view. Sure. And, and only toward the end when they learn to negotiate a little bit uh, that they, uh, they get out of that trap. And I find I'm better at it. I mean, if, if somebody doesn't like the picture, I say to myself, well, it's just not for them, I guess, you know? And it doesn't get me upset the way it might before, where I would think I, everybody's got to like it. I work too hard on it for them not to like it, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and uh, if somebody expresses a different attitude. So I would probably talk about that if I gave a, a talk now. But, I, but, but I, I still feel the way I did that day when I, when I told the story about, about 
how I had wanted to be playing in the classics and do Oedipus Rex, and I found myself in a musical comedy with a fright wig on, wearing tights, doing a parody of a rock and roll singer, and the people were going to laugh at me because I had this dumb look on my face, and I thought, this is not Oedipus Rex, and, and I started to cry. I was off stage waiting to go on, and I, tears came to my eyes. It was a, it was a, a kind of a, a very disappointing moment in my life. From that moment on, though, I started making the best of whatever situation I was in. Okay, so I'm in this dumb comedy, I thought. I'll, I'll bring as much of the art to it that I would have brought to Oedipus and see if, what, I can, what I can make of it, see if I can be uh, true to those principles anyway. And I've done that wherever I found myself, with whatever I found myself engaged in, and, I, and I, I've made myself happier that way. And I think I have probably made a contribution on a better, on a better, in a better way than I would have the other way. I'm probably more suited to a popular medium than I am to a classical medium. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to tell you how much I've enjoyed your father's cookbook. Oh, that's great. I'm a first-generation Italian, and to go one or two days without pasta, I need a fix. <laughs> one or two days? How can you go, how can you go two <laughs> meals without pasta? Well, we were in London, and we had to walk the streets in the theater district looking for a place with pasta because I just couldn't stand it any longer. <laughs> oh, okay. what's, your, what's your favorite way to do it? Uh, puttanesca. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah I really good. like that. You know yeah. what that is. You know what that means. Oh, yes. that's, that's, that, a... that's the way the prostitutes make right. it because they don't have a lot of time. So it's oh, a yeah. fast way to make pasta. You know, they always got their yeah. clock running, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I know where that word came from. But anyway. <laughs> Thanks. But I also wanted to tell you how much I enjoy the theme song and your acting and mash on every March day that's gray and gloomy. I just listen to Suicide is Painless. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just remember it's just a song. Yeah. <laughs> that picks me up. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Thanks, Connie. Okay. It's Reverse psychology, I guess. Right. <laughs> you know the uh, when the uh, the uh, motion picture, the original motion picture, there is a soundtrack out, and, yeah, uh, yeah. including that particular song. And I remember once I, I played it on the air, and a couple of people were quite offended. And then I had to kind of go into an explanation of what you have to describe the scene and what was going on, because when yeah. you take something out of context, it just yeah, doesn't. Yeah, that's uh, right. No, but it was it's a it's a very uh, very interesting haunting song. Oh yeah. Hi, Jane. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, Jane. This is so thrilling for me. I am 21 years old, so I've obviously grown up with MASH. Oh, that's a, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and um, it's just so exciting. I never thought I'd have a chance to talk to you. Oh, thank you. That's nice. What what do you want to talk about? I have a funny question for you. Yeah. Um, Do you and your friends ever get together and play the MASH trivia game? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, but I'd probably not do very well at it. You know, I, I I didn't know there was a MASH trivia game. Oh, yeah. Me and my friends, we play it all the time. There's also a computerized game that you can play in, really? like, video arcades and stuff. No kidding. And, well, uh, how does that, oh, that's got, that's got the, like, helicopters rescuing the wounded, I think, doesn't it? No, no, it's just questions. Oh, questions, I yeah, see. Yeah, it's just trivia questions, and you try to get your initials on and beat everybody else's points. Here, well, it, what would be an example of one of those questions? Um, what, why was Margaret um, called Hot Lips? Um, what was Radar's pet uh, bunny called? Um, I got one for you, Jane. Yeah. I don't, I don't All right, know here. the answers that he's called. Now you put me on the spot. No, no, I got one for you, and uh, Alan, even if you know the answer, don't tell. All right. What was the name of the book that Hawkeye's friend Tommy Gillis was writing? I have no idea. Oh, who's, wait a minute. Who's Tommy Gillis? <laughs> I will bet you. Now, I will bet you. What have I stepped into here? No, this is I, like a time warp. I will bet you within two minutes we'll have an answer. Are you kidding? Uh, uh, let's try and see. I mean, we have a pretty hip audience. Is, my, is that the friend who died on the operating table? Oh, it is. Now I know the title. Okay, okay. now okay. I know the, the title. Name it, was the the t- it was the title of the episode, yeah, too. Yeah, right, Tommy it Gillis. Was, it was a big, the episode was a big turning point in the program. All right, if you don't know that one, what about, what was Hawkeye's first job, Jane, his very first job? 
Oh, gosh. Boy, that's hard. I don't really remember what it's You don't know. Well, see, again, people will know these things. That's yeah, hard. I bet they will, because people just, you know, they watch it, you know, every night. It's on at 10 o'clock here. And um, I know that a lot of people, they just wait for it, you know, come on. And whenever there's an interruption, like an electoral thing that's been on, everybody's <laughs> oh, mad. They're like, you mean they stop the show for something like that? Yes, yes. <laughs> and everyone gets Lord. serious. They're like, come on, we want to watch Mad. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> have you ever seen it in a foreign country? Uh, have you ever seen it? I've seen it in uh, Spanish. It was just kind of, kind of, uh, <laughs> an I want to see it in Japanese. I think that would be great. I wonder what your voice would sound like in Japanese. Yeah, I don't know. I, because they, they often give me a, a growl, a gravelly voice like this. I don't know why. Yeah. I, it's, it's strange. Jane, it's nice of you to share some time with us. Thanks. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Nice to talk to you, Jane. Hi, Jim. Hi. Hello, Jim. How are you? Good, great. I watch MASH all the time. So you know That's the name nice of that thing. book. Yeah, what's the name of that book? You never hear the bullet. Yeah. Sometimes you hear the bullet. Sometimes you hear the That's bullet. That's pretty good. That's, I almost didn't get that myself. All right. Hey, listen. And that was, that was real sad, you know, because then... You know, he died. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, be careful now. You know, somebody may not have seen that episode. We have to be careful. It's like an, A New Life, the, the film that Alan's talking about. You hate to give away too much, and yet you do want to kind of intrigue people and explore what it's all about. Hi, Gina. Yes. you got a memory for MASH, huh? I sure do. The other question we asked was, what was Hawkeye's very first job? What he, was it? He was a stock boy in a drugstore? Yep. You got it. How do you know that? <laughs> I, don't, I never... All I right, don't. I got one for you. What was the name of the drugstore? Oh, God, I don't know that one. It was Bellinger's. Bellinger's, okay. Yeah. No, I, I own the um, game You should also. see me sitting here with my mouth open. I don't know. I don't understand. I, didn't even, I couldn't even remember my lines when I did that show. And, and you guys know all these facts. I own the game, too. I love the show. I love Alan Alda. I love, you Thank know, you. it's fantastic. Well. It's now, great. Alan Alda's dropped by to visit with us for a while today. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, how are you? Hello, Bonnie. Hi. I, I, this is so exciting. I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My two favorite actors in the whole world are Michael Caine and Alan Alda. Oh, so he you're the one who went to say, see Sweet Liberty. <laughs> she probably didn't even go either, right? <laughs> you did go to see I Sweet did, Liberty. All right. we taped it, and we did everything oh, to that's it. that's nice. That's nice. Um, question. Yeah. Is Miriam Walcott first and ten your daughter? No, I know, but it really interested me to hear that question. I don't, I never, uh, heard that name before. I don't know that actress. Miriam. But I was, I, uh, just this morning, somebody asked me about an actor, uh, a man on a, a soap, uh, in New York with, with the name Walda. And hmm. it's, all of a sudden, there are a lot of actors with the name Walda, which is really funny because, you know, it's a made-up name. It's not a real name. Right. I, these people... Probably uh, were not born as Alda either. Did your dad make that up for his? What, yeah, his, he, his, my father's name, when he started in right. show business, my father's name was Alfonso D'Abruzzo. Right. Uh, close. And, and, uh, close, right. <laughs> and, but he took A-L, A-L from Alfonso and D-A from D'Abruzzo, and he made Alda. And, and when he met, there was a, a very famous opera singer called Francis Alda. And one time he was out boating with a friend, and their boat pulled up to her dock. And she came down to the dock to meet my father, who is now famous with this name of, of Alda. And she started berating him and saying, how dare you take my name? That's my name. How could you do that? He says, well, I just made up a name. I'm sorry if it offended you. She says, well, that's all right. I made it up, too. <laughs> <That's great laughs> so story. I can't get too upset about Miriam Alda and uh, Chaim Alda, whoever's but in there. But aren't your daughters, the actresses, two of them? One of yeah, them? two. One is Beatrice Alda, the other is Elizabeth Alda. Ah. Neither one well, is Miriam. Miriam sounded like it fit right in there. <laughs> Miriam fits in great. Yeah, I wish her a lot of luck. Yeah. Bob Collins, when we did the little switch around uh, a little less than an hour ago, mentioned the fact, he was curious to someone who has success, who, who, who must be fairly comfortable, at least with the, the, the pleasures of life, how you find uh, the, the, uh, the, the urge to continue to seek out new things. You, you just must be a very curious person. I am, but it's like saying, how, how do you have the urge to eat or make love or, or you know, uh, have a glass of wine. I mean, there, I, I have, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm interested in, I'm, I wanna, I'm interested in being alive. What do you do just for fun? Uh, or... uh, 
Well, this is a lot of fun. I mean, my work is a lot of fun, obviously, but I, but it also you can't just work all the time. I, I do what everybody does. I play does. fish or play chess. I, I play or... tennis. I do play. T- I play chess against the computer. I play chess. Really? I drive my wife crazy because <laughs> I have a computer that unfortunately oh, it it bings every time I make a move, and she hears that that ding all the time, and she so she goes in and plays the piano. I think it's like the difference between men and women. You know, she's doing this. She's she's getting better as a pianist, and she's pl- making music. And I'm inside, dinging, <laughs> trying to compete against myself and compete against this this inert machine. And I and my heart races, trying to if I if I think I'm going to beat the machine. What the hell do I care if the machine wins or not? <laughs> but this this was like what what a man would do, you know. But but that's that's and that's us. We sit there. I do. I work against the machine, and she develops herself at the piano. It's it's a, it's a funny thing to watch. Well, hey, listen, we'll see you again in a couple of years. I always when, enjoy talking when to the you, next Roy. movie Thank comes you. out. A new life. It'll open uh, a week from tomorrow.